welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. Last week, we spoke for the second time with Ward Barkefer, whose wife, Sue, still visits him even many years after her transition. I've been teaching about the afterlife pretty intensively for more than a decade. And of course, I spent 50 years researching it. And I have to tell you, this is a brand new phenomenon. I can't recall that even, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, I was hearing from anyone whose spouse had transitioned and remained in immediate, intense, close part of their lives, close contact, writing their lives for years. I, I just had never heard of it. I don't think anyone had. But of course, we, we've always known that widows do hear from their departed loved ones. More than half of widows, they say, and widowers, will see a vision of the departed spouse during the first year after they're widowed. And usually it happens when you're either falling asleep or just waking up. It happened to my mother when she was taking a nap. She woke up and there was my father standing there looking a lot younger right beside the couch where she was sleeping and he disappeared. That's typical, typical of what happens. They they want us to know they're okay. So they send us these little postcards of themselves. And that's been what we've contended with really, for all of history. That's all that spouses have had. And now things are very, very different. This is the first time in human history that we actually understand what is going on. And and we know the veil is thinning. Long before this, even, well, even, frankly, a couple decades before this, most people had no idea what happened at or after death. We just had some guesses and we had the confusion that's been introduced by near-death experiences, but people didn't know. Now we know. And I think that helps us to understand this wonderful new phenomenon of the veil thinning and spouses staying married long after one of them has graduated. Our guest today is Stephen Simon, and he's a man who was born into Hollywood royalty. He has worked on projects that are the stuff of legend, and I won't even give you what some of them are, it'll amaze you. But two of them really amaze us. The first one that I want to mention is the Academy Award-winning What Dreams May Come, starring the wonderful, sainted Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. And we all know that in the movie. And before that, he actually also produced Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Both of them, as we know, are great movies about lovers seeking one another when one of them dies. And so now, not happily initially, but I think in some ways happily now, uh, Stephen Simon's life is imitating art, which limited life. Stephen's beautiful wife, whom he met late in life and who is his soulmate, unexpectedly transitioned in January of 2018. And she was only very young, I believe she was in her 50s, and then began an amazingly intense relationship between them that Stephen documents beautifully in his recent book, which he calls, and this doesn't, this won't surprise you at all. It's called What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil. I love this little book. I picked it up. Um, uh, you know, a day or so ago thinking, oh, I can just skim through this. I read every word and I read it so intensely that I never made a note. I kept thinking I'll stop now and make a note and I never did. I mean, I don't remember whether I had any meals, but it was such a short book. You can read it that way. 
He and his beautiful Lauren wrote it together. You can read it, as I say, in one sitting. And it's the genuine story of a truly beautiful relationship. And it's a relationship that extends far beyond one lifetime. And we're going to talk about that. We are entering, you and I and all of us, an amazing new phase of Earth's history. What we've seen so far, there's no telling where it goes from here. But a truly great love story is always going to be a truly great love story in any, any age. Dear Stephen, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi, Roberta. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be with you. And I have to tell you, um, I wrote down one sentence today that I wanted to make sure that I said to you right up front. And the sentence was, the veil is thinning. And <laughs> yes. Yes. You, start, <laughs> yes. you start this with that. And I have to tell you, if I could go back and retitle the subtitle of our book, I would, I would probably change it to The Veil is Thinning, because I think it's a much more direct and enticing way to look at this, because oh, there yes. is no question that that's true. For someone who has been trying to figure out what was going on beyond the veil when the veil was rock solid in place. And I'm not even really psychic or anything. I have to say, it's really quite amazing now. I mean, I'm in, in close contact with my own guide all the time. You're in close contact with your wife every minute. And so many other people are having these amazingly intense through the veil relationships. It's natural now. But for most of my life, this was unheard of. It never happened. This is the ultimate frontier, isn't it? This is the place where we finally confront what's actually true, what the depth is of reality. That's why, as, as you point out, it's a good title for, for a podcast, Seek Reality. And we're about to start a website called Seek Reality Online just to help people peek through that veil because the veil is so thin now. But for you, it's stunningly thin. You have such a beautiful love story. It was a late in life love story. And as I recall, you were at a screening of What Dreams May Come, right? Sure, not long after. I mean, this was 2003, I think, something like that. And you met this amazing woman. Tell that story a little bit. Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. Uh, it was 2003. I was living in Ashland, Oregon, which is about four and a half hours south of Portland. And um, Lauren was living in a suburb of Portland. We did not know each other. There was a retro theater up here, an old fashioned theater that did a screening of What Dreams May Come. And they asked, this is about five years after it was released. And they asked me if I would come up and speak. And I had a number of things that I was doing, but I just felt compelled to do it. It was in a suburb of Portland called Gresham that I had never been to before. I came up, I had a lot of, op I had a lot of resistance to going, but I went. Now, Lauren, unbeknownst to me, um, felt really compelled to come because she had always loved what dreams may come. She had always loved Somewhere in Time. Lauren was 17 years old when Somewhere in Time was released, fell in love with it, and later on got her college boyfriend to take her to Mackinac Island where we shot Somewhere in Time because she felt so connected to it. So she went, she got a babysitter, had two young kids, and came out to Gresham. She told me she almost turned around twice thinking, what the heck am I doing? We, we wound up in the, in the lobby of the theater and I saw her first and I saw her from behind and from the side. 
and I was very drawn to her and I went up and I tapped her shoulder. When she turned around, we literally just stared at each other. Now, it seemed like minutes. It was probably 10 seconds. Right. <laughs> but what we talked about later is that we both had two, the two thoughts right away and they were exactly the same. Number one, I thought, oh my goodness, there she is. And she thought, oh my goodness, there he is. Oh, wow. And at that point, we also both thought, wow, our higher selves are angels. Man, to get us both in a little theater in Gresham, <laughs> they deserve a two-week vacation in Tahiti for this one. And yeah. we laughed about it later, but we knew. Right then, we knew we were looking in a mirror and... We were literally together from that second onward. And wow. from that point, uh, it took about two or three years before we got married for various reasons. We had uh, five adult kids to, well, the two youngest were not adults then, to combine into a family and we did. And we had the most amazing relationship um, when she was physical. We still have a most amazing relationship now that she's not physical. But we realized that we had been together for a long time. Lauren is an intuitive. Lauren is a psychic. People would come to her from everywhere. She did past life regressions. She and I are both very into spirituality. And we used to talk about what our afterlife experience would be. And we knew we had been together literally in dozens of lifetimes dozens of lifetimes. And she did a past life regression with me in which I went back to one of those. We were very connected in late 2016. Lauren was uh, diagnosed with stage three thyroid cancer. Oh dear, yeah. And, and it shocked us, both of us. Uh, she was a marathon runner. I mean, she's the healthiest person I've ever known. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and, um, that began a long process. She had to have two surgeries. Um, she had iodine radiation treatment, which just, it cured the cancer. She didn't have the cancer anymore, but it destroyed her body. Yeah. Um, and she became very weak. She tried so hard, but the last few months, I know that she knew something was coming. Um, there was a night, and we, we talk about it in the book, where she said, honey, we need to design our afterlife experience. We, you know, let's go into detail about what, it want, what we want it to be like, what we're gonna be, where we're gonna be, how we're gonna be, what, and we did. And she said, write it down, put it in an envelope and keep it someplace where you know you won't lose it. <laughs> so when I found her that morning after I had been to the gym, January 3rd of 2018, and I came up and she was not stirring in our, our lab. Uh, Lola was huddled up really close to her on the bed, didn't even lift up her head when I came in. And I went around and then touched her. She was cold. She'd been gone for quite some time. I knew she was gone. I called um, 911 and fell apart. I don't remember a lot of what happened after that, but um, it was devastating for me and then the next several weeks were spent trying to get in touch with her, which I finally did. One of the things I want people to, to learn and take from this is that this kind of relationship is possible. 
I hear from a lot of people who say, oh, my husband just died. He was my soulmate or, or she was my soulmate. But there are very few really entwined souls, we are told. There are many people who are in love in this lifetime. I mean, I'll, be, I'll have my 50th anniversary next year. I'm, oh, my goodness. Congrats. I know. But I look so young, right? But, oh, my goodness. That is fantastic. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is that I know, and he knows, that we aren't, quote, soulmates. We are a very, very loving and, and happy couple but I, I think I actually know who my soulmate is, and he's not in body right now. And I've never been male and female relationship with him. There are all kinds of soulmates and, and, and group uh, couplings like that. I want people to know it is possible, but it's very unlikely in a given match because people come into these lives for specific purposes. I knew I had to marry Edward because when I first saw him, there was a halo around him in a dark room. I mean, what else are you going to do when, when it's pointed out that clearly who you're supposed to marry? But, but it doesn't have to be a soulmate situation. I think I want people to understand that. But this, what you illustrate here, is a perfect example of what people can do who are very close over many lifetimes. And I want you to talk about how you, you know, not so much how you came to understand, but what you understand to be true about your relationship with Lauren eternally, about the long-term relationship you've had with her. Oh yeah, try a couple of millennia. <laughs> right. And I, I'm, I'm really serious about that. And this is not something that uh, we came to since she transitioned. We talked about this for years. Yes. And we knew um, that there were, we, we actually knew a, a, a couple of the past lifetimes. It, the first time we were together, honestly, Roberta, that we, that we actually had a sense of was actually um, before Christ. Yes. So it, it was 22, 2300 years ago. Yeah. And we knew that we had had dozens of lifetimes together. Now, not every lifetime, not every lifetime for sure, but dozens of lifetimes in which we had various relationships. And um, it was, <laughs> as people were reading the book, Lauren has a, an incredible sense of humor. And we spent most of our time when we were together physically, she actually sent me a card once. And on the inside, it said, Teasing you is my greatest joy, and you are my greatest love. Oh, and we, most of the time, we wound up laughing at me. Uh, and <laughs> I gave her a lot of ammunition. Yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, that's part of the reason the book is so much fun to read, because even though you think this would be kind of sad, it isn't at all. It's, it's full of, of this lovely, lively woman who is so tickled to be in the position she's in now and, and encouraging you to just finish your journey too. But yeah, she, she has says, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, she, she says that you and she planned this. Now, understand everybody, we all plan our lives. We, with our guides, with the people who will be important, my husband and I planned it together, all of that. We plan every lifetime and we plan them around specific spiritual lessons, all the stressful, every bad thing that ever happened in your life, you planned that with the people in it and with your guides for your own spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of the other people in your life. That's just the way it goes. But these two had apparently been such 
have been become so melded over so many lifetimes that they were used to this kind of helping one another to grow spiritually. And this is the lifetime. And I've never heard of this before, but I perfectly believe it. This is the lifetime that they designed to be their last lifetime. And this is how they are celebrating and basically bringing you across the spiritual finish line too, where she obviously already was. She's clearly a, um, a person who was very elevated spiritually. So this is new. I mean, it, doesn't it, it probably it doesn't astonish you because you've been living it, but I've never heard of a case quite like yours where people consciously plan, this is going to be our life, last lifetime and we're going to do it together. And I'm going to help you over the finish line, the last two or three feet. Yes, she will. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought this whole subject up, Roberta, about planning our lifetimes, because um, Lauren and I were very conscious of that. Um, And we'll get into this in a little bit, because I I think I should, because when you look at my life in this incarnation, it was all about doing what our book together, everything led to that. As you said, somewhere in time and what dreams may come. That is about a man searching for his wife and the love of his life in the afterlife, okay? Um, That's what I came here to do. And the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which we operated for 16 years and sent out four movies a month to our subscribers, that was all about spiritual films. It was all about life after life and things like that. The fact that I produced and directed the film version of Conversations with God. Um, I produced and directed a little movie called Indigo. My whole life, my whole life has (laughs) been focused on this time. Because I had to get ready for this. Lauren and I know, and you know, I, I know there are people out there who have experienced this, who I hope will be smiling and laughing and crying along with me, but when we talked about this, we were very aware that one of us was going to have to be here physically without the other. And we fought about it. <laughs> we oh argued my Who's going to get left behind? You fought about that? No, we argued about it because we both insisted it be us. Because we knew how hard it would be. And fortunately, I won. And she relented and let me be the one to stay here. There is no question that this is gonna be our last incarnation. Um, There's also another good reason for that, which is that when I do get through the veil, and as you're right, she will be right there. When I do, I plan to spend the the first 200 quote years unquote, which have a very different meaning on the other side. I said, at least 200 years hugging her. Yeah. And, And then after that, we can figure out what else we're gonna do. Um, I wanted to bring up a wonderful thing for your, um, your listeners to be able to think of when you're talking about planning your lifetime, because it was explained to me, and we wrote about it in the book, but I, I think it's something that people uh, w- would get some comfort and some fun out of. So let's say you're between lives, and you and your higher self and your angels and your guides and perhaps your soulmate decide what your life is going to be, and the way you do that metaphorically is just to say you go out to a running track in the morning at a local high school and you're in the afterlife and you go around the track very carefully setting up hurdles for yourself for your next lifetime 
things that you need to deal with. And you're very careful that the, the hurdles are set up far enough apart, uh, you believe they're not too high, whatever. You get them all set up and then you're born. And of course you forget all about those hurdles, but you start your life and you start around that track and you spend a lot of your life getting really irritated at the idiot who sent those hurdles up so close and so high. Because yeah. we forget it was us. Yes, and yeah, that's right. And that's, that is what we did. And when you talk about um, the uh, uniqueness of having these past lives and, um, and having all these lifetimes together, um, it is not, from what I understand, it is not ordinary, but it's not rare. Um, yeah, I think that's about right. That's a good way to put it. You know, exactly. it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhere in between there of, of this kind of relationship. And it, do, you, do you know who Alison Dubois is? I know the name. Okay, so Alison is uh, a, a really well-known international medium who uh, had a TV series uh, based on her life many years ago. And she is a, a very close friend. And, you know, it is her life to communicate with people on the other side. <laughs> when I talked to Allison about this, she said, you know, I'm not going to try to tell you guys anything because you already know. And the only thing she said to me was, don't let anybody, don't let anybody try to translate for you what's going on between the two of you, because you both understand it better than anybody else does. Yep, true. And it's been very comforting for me um, in this time the first six weeks were, were times of utter desperation and grief for me. The grief goes on, as everybody knows, grief. <laughs> There's been a lot of work done on grief too, Roberta, in the last many, no. many, many years. And people are seeing grief now in a very different way, in a much healthier and a much more realistic way. I think that's is, right. And yeah. the best sentence I've heard about that is that grief lasts as long as love does. Yes, it, it feels different though. I mean, I've counseled a lot of widows and widowers and what, what I tell them in the beginning is, you know, your, your best day now is about where your worst day will be a year from now, if it's a healthy, because you, you, you sort of, you, you adjust in subtle ways, um, many people, love hearing you know the fact that they that they had my mother saw my, my father standing there was a comfort to her I never by the way could convince my own mother that she was uh, going to have a happy afterlife so she held on till she was 94 but that's another story the cobbler's kids always go barefoot but but um it never it never does go away because maybe maybe because it's tied to the love, but the love becomes as it has for you. It becomes a purer and purer, a freer and freer from pain kind of relationship. You know, the raw feeling of losing a, a limb, that which is how it feels usually to lose a spouse, that goes away though. You don't have that now, right? But you, yeah. but you, but you, you have you you do. Oh, well, I will tell no, no, I, it is definitely different than in January of 2018. It's not nearly as overpowering and it doesn't yes. happen as often and it doesn't yes. last as long. But right. I tell you, it, it happens when you least expect it. 
Um, it happens when, for instance, I can, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was driving down a street and I happened to look over toward my, to the side and I saw a couple walking together holding hands, which is something yeah. that Lauren and I were never anywhere without us holding hands or having her head on my shoulder or something like that. And I saw it and I just burst into tears. Yeah. Um, uh, now it isn't a <laughs> very early on, as people will see if, when they read the book. At, very early on, Lauren said to me once we started communicating, and honey, probably a, not a great idea for you to be telling people that you lost me. That's a good, right. I remember when she said that. Yes. Because I'm right here. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. So don't say you right. lost me, sweetie, because you didn't and you never will. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't say <laughs> I don't say lost her anymore. When it finally happened, the, the, after six weeks of doing everything, when she finally found a way to communicate with me, it's something else I want to share with you and your listeners, because I've had a lot of questions about this, which is, how did you know it was her? Yeah, talk about that. Well, first of all, I didn't. In the beginning, I didn't. The first time, I had no idea if that was Lauren or not. I hoped it was. She said something very odd to me, um, which was very easy for me to go do, because I was watching a television show that I had recorded. And when I watch series and things like that, I never ever watch previews of coming attractions and I never watch the credits. And I was about to turn this off and all of a sudden I felt Lauren say, honey, don't turn that off, watch the end credits. And I was like, what? And I thought, okay, well, that's just me talking to me. But I watched the end credits anyway and one of our favorite songs was playing over the end credits. And it was really about someday we'll walk in the, in the rays of a beautiful sun together. Yeah, yeah. You know the song. It was very encouraging for me. And I knew it was Lauren. Now, how did I know? Did I hear her voice? I absolutely did not. Her voice is a part of her body. And her body was cremated. So there is no way I could hear her voice that isn't wasn't physically possible right but i heard it in my heart and we talk about this a lot in the book right yep be in your heart not in your head your head is a computer and it can take you in all kinds of weird places your heart speaks a different language it plays by its own rules as was said in a movie many years ago if you listen to your heart, you know, and I knew in my heart that that was her. Now, now that we have regular, a regular connection, there is always a physical tell um, when I, I know Lauren is around, um, although she always corrects me about that and says, honey, it's when you know I'm around, but I'm around sometimes you don't know I'm here. Yes, and that's true of all of our loved ones, exactly right. And um, so there is a physical tell, there's a physical sensation that happens, which uh, I'm, I've never discussed and never will. That's private between the two of us. And it is incredibly comforting because the veil is very much thinning. The question, and this is something I wanted to bring up and hope that we can talk about a little because I can't do, a, I can't do an interview with a woman who's, um, podcast is seeking reality without talking a little bit about, yeah, what reality? Yeah, go ahead. Talk about that. Um, because 
what really is real? That's that's the thing. You know, exactly what, right. That's the question. What is real? Well, I can tell you today, and I'm sure you already know this, that almost all of the work that is being done in quantum physics is about is the life that human beings experience real or is it a projection? Yeah. Now, that is a huge gulp. Yeah. Well, but the point is they, the, the early physicists knew. I mean, Einstein, who was the quintessential, you know, old fashioned physicist, pre-quantum mechanics physicist, he said, Reality is just an illusion, although it's a very persistent one. Yeah, one of his great, great quotes. And, and Einstein's work in this world was fascinating. So what happens in popular culture when, when we're going through things like that? Popular culture reflects what we are going through as a humanity. It always does. It's usually behind the curve. Yes. But it always reflects it. So. What were the Matrix movies about? Now those movies were—that's right—they <laughs> were gigantic successes, right? Gigantic. Yeah. And uh, the Wachowskis, who made those films, who wrote them and directed them, have talked about the fact that they did that to talk about to show the audience you need to really start thinking about what is the real world and what's illusion. Is this illusion and the other side of the veil the real world? but they knew they couldn't do it just that way. They had to do it in a big action movie. And that's what all the action was about. It was just to build that around that central conceit. There are other movies, if people, and, and at the end of our book, we have a glossary of movies that we recommend to people that, that kind of reflect these types of things. There's a movie called The 13th Floor that does exactly the same thing that nobody has ever heard of before. It's a very, it's a very unknown film. So. We're asking, and I think getting some answers to some very eternal questions here, and also what is supposedly the afterlife like? And I'll leave it there for a second because is there anything you wanted me to go back over or talk about? You no, know, you're doing a perfectly splendid job, Stephen, I must say. I think she's helping you do this. Oh, there's no question. You think I could do this without her? <laughs> thing is, the important thing for people to understand is that this relationship that they have is a mimic of our relationship with all human beings. We are all of one mind. That one mind continuously manifests this universe. And there is no separation of the kind that we experience when we're in, in these separate bodies. I mean, I think this is a perfectly beautiful love story. I think it should be a movie. And since I'm talking to you, I, I can imagine it might become a movie at some point. But, but the thing is, it's, it's a, this is an example for all of us. Having this kind of unity with another person is sacred because this is how it begins, this, this total uni uniting with all of humankind. And the more we grow spiritually, which is what they have been doing, the more we are, feel that we, there is no separation. We are, we are individual people. Our individual awareness is eternal. We know that. For a while I wondered about it, but we know it. But, but the point is, there isn't those people you see walking down the street, they are also a part of you, maybe not as close, but they're a part of you too. 
And I, I love this book for the fact that it is such a universal story, Stephen. It's a special, unique story, but it's also universal. Everybody should read this. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I'm aware that the, that a lot of the things that we discuss in here are um, difficult concepts for a lot of people, and I understand that completely. It is always this way when um, new things are arising, and we have no real history, um, conscious history, to know what context to put them in. I understand that. Um, I know that some of the things that we talk about in the book are somewhat controversial, and I get that as well. Um, I'm, I've been asked a lot, and I, I, one of the things that, that Lauren and I have both been so, so pleased about is that in the book, um, at the end of the book, towards the end of the book, um, we give out uh, an email address for people to be able to be in touch with uh, me, um, and you get in touch with me, you get in touch with Lauren automatically. It's a twofer. <laughs> it's a freebie. It's a twofer. Yeah, it's definitely a, a twofer. And that's something I just want to put in parenthetically here too. Our loved ones on the other side are happiest when we are. Yes, that's and true. They want us to find happiness wherever we can to be okay um, and, and to laugh at things and to laugh at ourselves, which I, I unfortunately I think is one of the things that we have lost recently in this world is the yeah. ability to laugh at ourselves and to laugh at each other and to not take everything as though it's life and death. Um, I, I, I would just add too, Stephen, to, to widows and widowers who are saying, well, you know, darn it, I had a pretty good marriage, but I, it, it's not like that marriage, but it was pretty good. I'd like to marry again. I'd like to love again. How would he or she feel about that? I have seen a lot of correspondences with spouses and they're in every case, no matter how good the marriage was, the spouse says, if you can find new love, I bless that. I love that. And they, they, there's no jealousy at all. You say that too in your book, I believe that there's no jealousy. Oh no, there's absolutely no jealousy. And there is no question that um, if that happened to me, uh, that Lauren would be more than happy about it, although Lauren knows me so well. <laughs> she, she knows that she's got you. I and think that's probably true. That, that would happen. And I will tell you something. There was a moment in which we did talk about that. And all I heard from Lauren was, well, she better be okay with threesomes. I love it. You know, I wonder too, there, there's some, you described some hugs from her, which were, were uh, you know, of, with very enhanced energy. And there is in fact a way that they hug. Um, the people that are not in physical bodies do hug. And um, they, they say the closest analogy they can give us to understanding how it feels to do this kind of whole body hug is an orgasm. It's That's like a whole very, body uh, orgasm. And I, I thought, I will, oh my God. I will attest to that. Okay, so the, I wondered if that's what she was actually doing. No, was uh, actually, most of the, no in, in all fairness, no, most of the time it is not that. Most of the time it is just an incredibly comforting hug. But um, <laughs> I thought so. There, there, are other, there are other times that we won't go into because I know <laughs> it's a family show, but there are other times. <laughs> I love it. I do love it. Oh, yeah, my I, word. I've got to remember 
to make sure that my our kids never listen to this. <laughs> An R-rated episode of Seek Reality. Oh my goodness. Maybe X even. I know. I mean, I I'll tell you. I'll be frank with you, Stephen. I I've heard from a few widows very recently who have said, and they were they weren't even shy about it. They thought it was interesting information for me to have. They said that their ex-husband, ex because he's dead, he comes to them in the night and they have physical sex. And I, the first time I heard it, I thought this woman was out of it. But I've heard it from three or four people now, very recently. And I think that's what's happening. I think that the, the spouse, if they've been very close, the spouse comes and does this this energy exchange thing with, with, with her, with her uh, or his surviving um, spouse. And that's what they're doing. That's what, that's what's commonly done in the afterlife. You don't even have to be good friends to do it. People do it all the time. It's a, it's a hug. We are all one being. We will. I I know we'll we'll probably move on from this pretty quickly now, but I, I, um, I, I, I do have to say that, you know, there are moments when I am absolutely aware of that and we have experienced that there is no question that we have yeah it is um it's extraordinary what can transpire when you are open to this when you're open to the possibility of it because our loved ones if 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 they know that we feel them that we hear them that they love to communicate with us and it's you know, I'm very careful about things that Lauren and I talk about. I don't ask her about certain things because I know that there's only so much that my human mind can absorb. Yeah. yeah. But I will yeah. tell you this, and I know that this is going to wind up being controversial for people, but I also hope it'll be comforting for people. I think it was Oprah who um, started the, the, the phrase, there are many pathways to God. And I believe that that is absolutely correct. And that when you look at what dreams may come, for instance, which was a book that took me 20 years to get made as a film, that was the biggest challenge of my professional life because of its content. But what happens in dreams is that when Robin's character transitions, where does he go? He goes into a painted world that is literally made of wet paint. Why? Because his wife is a painter and works in a museum. And it's an an environment in which he is comfortable and which he feels welcome. Who, Who welcomes him first? A dog that he loved that he hadn't seen since she was on her deathbed. Yeah. And she's there. So what Lauren and I have learned is that what we experience in our afterlife can be, I don't think there's any rules, but it can be a reflection of our beliefs. So for instance, if, if, if you believe that when you transition, you will be with God, then you will be with God and you'll be with the image of what you believe God is. There's absolutely, why not 
why, there's no, what's the reason to have a universal afterlife experience? And that's what we did in dreams. And that is what I believe the afterlife is about, which it is a reflection of our, of our beliefs when we're in the body. And the reason we don't talk about, um, because I've been asked quite a lot now about the future that Lauren and I are afterlife, how we envisioned it, the reason I don't talk about it is because it's very personal to us and it, it will be completely different for you and for anybody else. And I, I hope that people will find that comforting because it seems to me to be the, the only loving way to look at it. Well, the, I've, I have heard from, uh, in that I've you know, read the accounts from the first part of the 20th century from hundreds of different people who had died and they talked about it in fairly great detail. And there is, in fact, a communal afterlife. Um, and I'm, I know that she is there or she wouldn't be able to communicate with you. But it is custom to the extent that our own pets are there. We, we make our own home there. It's very, very comfortable and happy. But it is true that if you have a very fixed view of what the afterlife is going to be, many of the most common one being clouds with St. Peter's gates, um, there are what are called hollow heavens where you can end up putting yourself. Hell is another one of those. Um, if you're sure that's where you're going, you, you, because your mind is so powerful, you'll end up there. But that's not that's not the real afterlife. The real afterlife is where she is. It, it is, is absolutely beautiful, absolutely gigantic, absolutely custom tailored for you personally. But it's it's communal at the same time. It's It actually is wonderful. It's It's hard even to for us to understand how perfect it is because as soon as she graduated, she was back in her eternal mind, which is basically many times more powerful than your mind is or mine while we're here. It's like we stripped down to our shorts to go to the gym. We stripped down to a very efficient mind for learning spiritually. But when we get back, we have all kinds. That's why she, I'm sure, remembers all your lives together now because she's in that mind where she knows all so many more things. But yes, it is very hard for us to understand just how magnificent, how wonderful, how perfect. It's as if the Godhead, the genuine Godhead, which is not what any religion worships, is so, so much loves you in particular that the, the afterlife you go to is perfectly tailored to what you are most going to love. It's the most amazing situation, Stephen, I cannot begin to tell you how beautiful it is. It's impossible to express, but you have a sense of it now because of Lauren. I'd love that. Oh, I, I definitely do. And I, I just want to throw in something here. Um, a spiritual, you mentioned about hell. Yeah. A spiritual teacher once uh, said to us when during a, uh, a weekend, you guys want to talk about hell all the time. Okay. <laughs> right. So just understand, there is only one hell, one, only one, and it's not in your afterlife. It's called high school. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Wow, there is wisdom for the ages, I have to say. That's, that's great. No, that's true. There is no, there is no fiery hell at all. There is an outer darkness which Jesus told us about, but that's where we put ourselves. No, no judgment by any religious figure and no judgment by anybody but ourselves. It's all good news. 
and one of the wonderful things about your book is that Lawrence ex expresses that in so many beautiful ways. Um, you're, you're, you are very blessed. I know you probably don't, now you maybe feel that way. I'm sure in the beginning you felt that it, this was the unluckiest thing that could ever have happened to you, but it's a, it was such a blessing. It is such a blessing now for the rest of your life. And it's a blessing for other people, Stephen, because you're telling your story. And this is a, such a wonderful, wonderful, magnificent, uplifting story. I hope so. Uh, it is something that we want people to be able to relate to, um, to laugh about, uh, to be touched by, to be intrigued by, to be challenged by. And as you said, it is a very quick read, which again is something that um, we did very intentionally. Um, and if you'll permit me, I just wanna say to people that if you are interested in our book, um, and I hope that you are, because this is definitely a word of mouth type of book. Please take a look at whatdreamshavecome.com. That's whatdreamshavecome.com. It will give you a little bit of the background of the book. It'll also give you the link to Amazon where you can order it. It is available exclusively on Amazon because we self-published it for a lot of different reasons. You know, I've had a couple of other books published in the past. This is something that I would never, ever, ever allow a publisher to get their hands on. It's way too personal. Um, and it's something that I would not want to be handled in any way that wasn't comfortable for Lauren and I. So uh, word of mouth is how this book is getting around and, and wonderful people like you, Roberta, who um, are willing to have me on to talk about it. And so I hope people will take a look at whatdreamshavecome.com and the holidays are coming, and if you have somebody that that yeah, you this is has a, lost someone, I, th I think it might be very comforting for them. I think so too. I should say one more thing. Right at the beginning of the book, he prints what is my favorite song mm -hmm. for my entire life, and I didn't I didn't know anybody else even remembered that song. But I won't tell you what it is. But if you get the book, just look at the front of it, and you'll see what is my very favorite song of all time. Oh, well, it's been so good having you here, Stephen. I think I want to have you back maybe next year sometime, just so that we can have a few more giggles because uh, we've talked about the book, but there's a lot more a lot more depth, I think, that we can talk about as your voyage continues. And I would, I, like I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I've really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for this, Roberta. This is, this is how we are getting the... I'm 75 now. I have no other projects ahead of me this is the last thing that I am going to be working on as far as a public face project is concerned. And it's something that I plan to do for the rest of my time here. Um, so I hope that people will do that. And I hope if you have your own stories, you will share them with me. Um, and again, Roberta, I thank you so much for doing this. And I, I hope that we can do it again soon because it's been great, great fun. It has been fun, and, and I'm your age, but actually, the, apparently, the uh, the public part of my life is just beginning. So I'm kind of waving at you as you get to relax, and I go past you. Oh my dear, this is such an amazing lifetime, honestly. All right, well, okay, we're we've come to the end of our time, and um, please just remember, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you were with me today, but please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better.
Next week, we'll be talking with Titus Rivas, and he has written a book that's going to interest many listeners, because one thing that people often ask me to give them more information about on Seek Reality is reincarnation, which is a huge topic. We just talked about it today. But I haven't known of an expert in the field of reincarnation who could talk about it. And I had gotten to the point where someone begged me to talk about it myself because I have a lot of information about it. But I think it's always more fun, don't you, when we have a guest? Titus's book just out this year is called Reincarnation as a Scientific Concept. I haven't read it, but it looks great. And I will have read it by the time we talk next week. I think it's just what the doctor ordered. Titus Rivas is a Dutch scholar who's been studying reincarnation for decades. And frankly, he's in the mold, I think, of the wonderful Dr. Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia, who was the definitive, although the kinds of reincarnation he talked about are not the general kind, he is the, the definitive scholar in this field. I'm so glad to be able to start to satisfy the people who've been asking me, begging me really in some cases to talk about it more. So please be sure to join us next week. And of course, this week we've been talking with the wonderful Stephen Simon and Lauren. And I have to just say, I wanna make them regulars because I have enjoyed this so much. The book is called What Dreams Have Come. His website is whatdreamshavecome.com. And I urge you to read this book and let me know whether you agree with me about my favorite song. If you, if you do read about it, let, let, let me know about that. And if you ever have anything that you would like to talk to me about, whatever it is, just go to the green contact block on seekreality.com and send me an email. Make sure you give me your right address and you will get an answer. It may take three or four days, but um, I will answer you and I'll be, be delighted to hear from you. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing, always, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.